0: Dear listener, this is Interfaith Ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday, right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. Dear listener, if you have kids in your life, like me, you've probably been sweating it out this summer on multiple fronts, juggling your job and other responsibilities with how to keep your kids active, but also safe and healthy helping them process what's going on, but also not worry too much and have fun, but not just sit and watch TV or be in front of the computer all day, but at least get out of your hair for like two minutes so you can just figure out how to keep it all together and when is school starting and what does school even look like anymore? And ah, Well, you're not alone. This week I spoke with Zeba Hassan and Uzma Jaffrey, the hosts of the Mami Wall Muslim podcast, and Rachel Dahl O'Mahony host of the podcast, Bringing Forth. We talk about parenting during the pandemic, how each of them has approached religion and spirituality in their families, the feminist theology behind beekeeping, and a bunch of other, sometimes literal, parenting-ish. I'm grateful that all three of them were so candid during our conversation. So here's my little spiel with Zeba, Uzma, and Rachel. Enjoy. I'm really appreciative of um, of everybody sharing your time. I, I know these are exhausting times that we're in and I don't take your availability for granted. So thank you to all three of you for, for making the time to be available. No,
1: no thank you so for, having us. for
0: having us. Hmm. So since um, we're all parents and this is an open space to share about parenting, I wanted to start off and just ask who has a good story of something off the wall that their kid did this week.
1: Oh my God. I have so many. I wouldn't even know where to start.
0: <laughs> What's a good one.
1: <laughs> I mean, I can tell you this. So once a week I have um, four kids. This is Ava has mm-hmm. I have four kids um, ranging in age from 16 to seven. So once a week, my teenager just because I get so frustrated with him I'm like you absolutely have to clean your room like I don't the the closing the door pretending like it doesn't exist doesn't really work for me long term and then he started and I said <laughs> with the picture I mean oh, there God. was garbage and plates and like probably I'm not exaggerating when I say knee-high how much crap was in his room. And I'm just like, (laughs) how do you handle living like this? And he Mm -hmm. just doesn't even get a phase or affected. And it's, I, and I myself, am looking at this, like, like my heart's palpitating, but for them, they're just perfectly fine. But I did find my whisk, why there's a whisk in his room i <laughs> oh do not God. know so maybe that was, was the pressed weirdest pressed of all the eggs, things out of there, yeah. i was like what in the world that he claims it was some for some coffee insta coffee drink or whatever but that was one of the most random things i found in the pile of garbage that came out of his room so that was you know that was yesterday that was yesterday that's, that's the real the danger
0: before. of of having the doors closed in your teenager's room, right? Is that Mm -hmm. they may not open again. You just physically can't open it.
1: That's exactly right. (laughs) Pushing against it with your shoulders and and elbows. Yeah, it, it was not fun, not fun at all.
0: Yeah, yeah. Anybody else have a good one? Rachel, you've got a new baby.
2: Oh, oh! Congratulations! Yeah. Thank you. Honestly, the baby is the most predictable person in this house. <laughs> um, so, no. I mean, I feel like the days are just all like blending into like exhausted craziness. I did try to make. <laughs> yeah. um, I tried to make um, bread. I'm a baker. I was a baker before COVID, and now I'm really a baker. But <laughs> I in my exhausted like sleep deprived self, was like yeah yeah i'll just make two loaves so we have it around and somewhere around the 16th cup of flour i was like this recipe Whoa. is really big <laughs> i had accidentally quadrupled a large oh. recipe <laughs> and oh my i was gosh. like how the heck am i gonna like manage all of this because i'm also making bread around like an infant's like utterly unpredictable sleep. Schedule, so right, like, yeah. Right. Schedule. There's, there's so much dough in our freezer; it's
1: out of control. <laughs> <laughs> Too much of a good thing.
0: Yeah, well. But stopped. I wish I was well your neighbor, stopped.
1: Rachel, because I'd take I some. Know. of No, we would take that off. Oh yeah, exactly.
0: I was like
2: passing it out. <laughs> Here's <laughs> my, my mask, like, like, bread. Fresh um... <laughs> bread. Fresh bread.
0: My recent uh, uh, base baking. Mishap um, this past week was it was my wife's birthday, and um, my daughter and I thought we were going to uh, be heroes. And while she was off on a call, um, bake a cake for her, or, or yeah, I should say a, 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 stra- a sh- strawberry shortcake. Well, my my eight-year-old did fantastic. She was very excited. She was an excellent sous chef, um, but uh, but I switched the um, the amounts for, I think it was, it was either sugar or salt, oh, and, wow. <laughs> and added about four times more salt than I needed yeah. to. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no. It was very disappointing when we finally oh. got to eat the cake later. You know what?
3: You tried, so you yeah, get an A for that's, effort. That's huge. I don't think my husband ever even bought me a cake on my birthday. It's just flowers. Oh. Yeah.
0: Well, we all we all have our you know our our uh white horses that we come riding yeah. in on you yeah. know <laughs> <laughs> that's true <laughs> and sometimes they're they're broken down jalopies i guess
2: <laughs> oh that's true or you bring a whole herd
0: <laughs> that's right that's right i wanted to just uh reset a little bit and and go back and you know we have a little bit of an understanding of where everybody's everybody's at could you sort of uh introduce yourselves and and like where in the world are you and uh you know what I guess, what your family makeup looks like, how many kids you have, how old they are. Um, Usma, can we start with you? Oh,
3: yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Usma Jafri. I am a mom of four. They are 12, 10, 9, and 5. Uh, And where in the world am I is Arizona. I'm originally from Mm. Texas. Uh, I've been uh, raised a Muslim. That's how I'm raising my kids as well. Um, and you know, it was just kind of, that was our spiritual and our family makeup, kind of the foundation of our family was faith, family and education. Like if Islam has five pillars, our family had those three pillars, um, faith, family, education. And those were the things that Mm. I was raised to believe were the crux of not only your household, but society. And that's kind of how I live my life.
0: Hmm. Wonderful.
2: I'm Rachel Dahl-Omahony. Um, I live in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, I also have four kids. Um, yes, welcome to the club. So, yeah, yeah, right?
0: How about that?
2: Um, a Now I have to review the numbers. Uh, almost <laughs> 11, <laughs> 8, 5, and 9 week old. Oh, wow. Um, Yay. And I am white, uh, cis, cis. Um, uh, bisexual, but partnered with a man, um, cis female, um, person.
0: Great. And Rachel, you, you grew up in a Catholic background, right? Oh
2: yeah. Sorry. Yeah. The religious part. <laughs> 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 oh my God. There are a lot of identity <laughs>
0: boxes to check. It's okay. Seriously.
2: Nine week old. <laughs> nine week old. <laughs> my excuse. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, so I grew up Catholic. I, um, and then, uh, studied theology and, gr- uh, college and graduate school and still am Catholic though uh, ambivalently so sometimes um, but sort of deeply in Catholic spirituality and sometimes frustratedly so in the um, like larger part of the tradition and
1: um, mm. the hierarchy
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and zeba
1: my name is Saba Hassan. I also am a mom of four. I have a 16, 14, 9, and 7 year old. Um, my husband and I will be celebrating our 21 year anniversary next week. So that's always wow. super fun. Um, a couple decades. And I am. Um, <laughs> and you're only I am...
0: 25 still. It's really weird.
1: No, I know. I'm only in my 20s. So <laughs> I'm not quite sure how that happened. I'm actually biracial. My mom was a Catholic convert to Islam when she was a teenager, met my dad, um, this biracial, you know, couple in the 70s in Chicago, and, um, you know, I'm a product of that. I always tell people I was born Muslim, went on a spiritual journey, and have chosen to be Muslim as an adult, and that is how we're raising our kids. So I feel like I'm like the bridge between Uzma and Rachel right now. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That's so cool. And, and, and sort of what you uh, indicated, Zeba, and, and a little bit of what Rachel teased was is, is sort of what I wanted to, to, to get into also. So I wanted to, to hear about, you know, what religious community and, and family practice looks for for you all, I would say, normally, and then we can sort of get into, you know, where, where we're, where things are at now that we're in this pandemic.
2: For my family, um, so I grew up in uh, the Midwest of like German Catholic, uh, some Irish, but mostly German Catholic stock. So, you know, Catholicism is expressed in many, many cultures very differently, but in German Catholicism it, in America, in the Midwest, it tends to be fairly anti-clerical and very communal based. And so I grew up in that. And... Um, Grew up in like amid a evangelical Christians as a mm. Catholic, mm. Um, and so and now there's a lot of between then, right, my childhood and now. <laughs>
3: but
2: <laughs> in my family with my children, um, we I, we don't send our kids to Catholic school. We took very seriously this idea of being out in the world and our kids being in relationship with people who are different than them um, in in a myriad of ways. And um, we, you know, very simple things like we pray before dinner um, and before meals, but often our prayer looks like a song or silence together. During seasons like Lent, the 40 days before Easter, we will um, like gather. We have a little family altar up near our bedrooms. so when we have non-Catholic guests or non-Christian guests, it's not weird for them. Um, so it's kind of away from the ordinary, from our public space, I guess. And um, but we'll gather there and pray a psalm together. Um, but my spouse and I met in theology school, in grad school, and so we both work in ministry. And in some ways, like spirituality and theology, is sort of in the air in our house. We talk mm-hmm. about the theological implications of things. We talk about how do you pray in the midst of this? Um, how do I pray? What what's, what what do you think God thinks of this? Like wh- who in scripture do we connect with or who in the Bible do we connect with? And so it's just around for our kids. Our children are each named after somebody from the Bible that we really connected with their story and they've really latched onto that. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think in my own private practice, I would say in the last couple of years, I've really discovered the the richness of silence and finding time and space to quiet myself and let God's quiet voice like sort of seep into my, into my ears. Um,
0: Into, into the the chaotic cacophony that is a four-child hassle.
2: (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) Um, Well, good luck with
0: that practice.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But even finding moments to grab onto it has been Mm -hmm. powerful, like um, to just go outside and sit on the front porch Mm -hmm. for two minutes and and take a deep breath and listen for the noise that isn't my noise or my children's Mm. noise but is – is something else. Um, has been just really important to me.
0: Beautiful. Usma. how about how about for you? What is what is religious and spiritual life look like in your context?
3: Um, so in our household and our family, I would say it's it's a lot different than how I grew up because um, you know I'm second-generation American, my parents immigrated here, so for them, I think just trying to figure out what the ritual practices of Islam would look like in our household was a little bit harder to set up because they were so busy um, facing other challenges outside of the home, so um, and figuring out what that what that looked like, you know, because to be very frank, even in their Muslim countries and backgrounds where they were raised, they didn't really practice the faith, Mm. So they were more like Ramadan Muslims where during the month of mm-hmm. fasting, they would fast and they would pray and then. But otherwise, as a child, I didn't see that growing up. And so when I became an adult and I feel like I got fundamental Islam, which to me is not a scary combination of words as it's portrayed in the media. It It's Mm -hmm. just like, you know, being a fundamentalist Christian, like you're trying to go back to the very basic essences of your faith and practice those. And Islam's ritualized practices make it a little bit easy because we know that we have these five prescribed prayers. These are the ways that we're going to do it no matter what happens. And then anything else you do is like extra icing, right? Mm -hmm. So we try to, um, even before COVID, we were trying to incorporate kind of like a congregational family prayer, um, but we were frequent goers of... Of our masjid or, you know, a Muslim house of worship. And that played a huge role in our lives. It's kind of like the thing we anticipate the most in Ramadan is being able to go to the masjid every night and have it, you know, that family to us is very, very important. It's the family that we had for a very long time before my parents moved here and before my in-laws permanently moved here. So um, for my kids, it was really important. So obviously post-COVID, not having that has been, um, A lot of social withdrawal, I think it's led to some Mm -hmm. social anxiety on the grown-ups and the children's part. But what we've done in response is just kind of buckle down on those ritualized prayers and we're praying them as a family. So even though we don't have our larger masjid family congregation, we have our family congregation and we can get Mm -hmm. together and do those prescribed prayers together. Um, We're still doing a lot of the other ritual practices, which aren't as, I would say they're not as formal as the prayer itself that's kind of the crux of everything mm-hmm. for us. Um, and so that, I think, has been one of the positive things of COVID happening is that as a family, we buckle down to pray together. And that means mm-hmm. a lot to me because it wasn't something I grew up with.
0: Well, th- well that actually connects to to um, something that I wanted to ask you about. And I'll, I'll, I'll share a little... Um, uh, incident that happened today that actually connects to to this idea of of cultivating spirituality and how do you you know how do you set those practices with your children? So um, on Sunday mornings, typically my my daughter and I participate in a um, a children's class uh, to sing prayers with some kids from our local Baha'i community in in Washington, DC. Um, but you know th- this this is something that's usually met in person. Um, and then has obviously it's moved on to Zoom since the pandemic started and while we have our own family practice um, in the evenings to say prayers before bedtime, we've also kept up this this weekly gathering with, with our friends, but you know she's she hasn't been feeling it lately, you know. Just going in and 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 saying prayers with with some friends of hers on the computer, um, for whatever reason. I'm not quite sh- sure why. And and the mere suggestion that we rejoin the group this morning uh, sent her wailing into her room, you know, uh, with her hands over ears that she was, you know, didn't even want to hear it. So, you know, it, it. I think it exemplifies one challenge that I've been personally having as a parent. Um, creating an environment that really encourages and invites a prayer practice without it being something that's forced, you know, because I don't want her to have the feeling like, oh, my dad made me do this or my mom and dad, you know, forced me to, to say these prayers. And then, you know, later she, she rebels and rejects the, the benefit that she could pop- possibly get from this. So, I don't know, Zeba, what do you think? How do you navigate those issues with religious practice with your various children?
1: Uh, honestly, to be very blunt with you, we go under the basis that there's no compulsion in religion, and that's mm-hmm, kind exactly, of been our yeah. fundamental parenting philosophy. Meaning, mm-hmm. we do what we expect, with the hopes that we will be joined, and so far mm-hmm. that has worked. Because I have to say, I mean, counter counter to what Ozma's um, childhood was. I think because my dad married a convert, you know, we were looked at a little bit differently in our community. So my dad was extremely um, conservative and extremely strict on us. Right. So that Mm. forced, we all have to pray. We all have to this, we all have to that. So we were praying for the sake of not making my dad mad versus praying because Mm. of the spiritual things that it ultimately, it was designed in my opinion to do. So, When my kids are having anxiety or or whatever case may be, you see what I'm saying? So we were just like, this Mm -hmm. is what we're doing. And 90% of the time, the kids will come and join us, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. there are times that they don't, and I'm not going to pretend like they do or that they're perfect or that they're perfectly, but like, even with the fasting, these are the reasons why we fast. I never really forced it, but like my kids seek it out. Like they Mm -hmm. enjoy it. Obviously not my younger two. Like we do the half fast where they don't, they break from snacks. But then I found out my younger one was actually sneaking snacks and we're just like, we're not going to get, you're not going to get in trouble for it. So we came, we were raised um, into religion on a fear based, which now as an adult and through my own spiritual journey and my own learnings of Islam and the way that I feel like it was meant to be taught, I I feel like God is coming from a place of love and mercy. And that wasn't Mm -hmm. necessarily how I was brought up, though my parents have, I think, Altered and changed and adjusted, especially where their grandkids are concerned. And I'm kind of like, where were you guys when I was a kid? But that's a whole nother topic. Um, (laughs) Right. But that's the truth of it. It's like they soften uh, a little bit
0: somehow, right? And I'm
1: like, well, how does that work? But really, we come from the base (laughs) of there's no compulsion in religion. And I, yeah, I pray five times if I do all that, and I kind of just announce it. This is what I'm going to do. And most of the time, they'll come and join me in my little prayer area, and then we talk about it, and then we kind of move on because I feel like when you're seeking that connection to God, it's an internal introspective relationship. And that's kind of how I personally feel. Um, So with my kids, I'm kind of like, you know, do it because you want to and you need to, not because Mm -hmm. I'm forcing you to.
0: The issue with compelling people to do prayer is that it undermines the whole point of prayer, right? Which is supposed to be a pure connection with our Creator. Um, and and you can't force you can force somebody to go through the form but not to have the connection which is going to exactly. be an internal spiritual one but what about the other aspects of, of either community life or or community responsibility that come from your faith um, Rachel do you have do you have anything that you you really make mandatory for your kids to participate in
2: um, you know that's a great question we really I think lean into um, You know paying attention over participation so like inviting our kids to to foster an awareness of what is sacred around them so Mm. um when we go on like a walk right which we've been doing a lot of nature walks right in the past four months Mm. but Mm. invite them to notice so not just go and pull up the mushrooms and to walk on the tree stumps, but to, to really like, this is, this is sacred. This is like God's gift to, to us and to other parts of nature. How just pay attention to that before you do anything. Um, mm-hmm. And, and along with that, like ritual, right? So in, I mean, a Catholic, I want to use the word liturgy and we have like a family liturgy and we don't, don't, mm. We also don't sort of say, you have to do this. But we're going to pray before dinner, or we're going to gather and read the readings, the Sunday readings, um, or we're going to do these things. And you need to show up. You don't have to participate. You can check out. You can zone out. But we want you there, and because that's part of the ritual we do as a mm-hmm. family. Um,
0: and what's the response and, been from your various kids?
2: I, I mean, that's a great. It's it's such a mixed bag. I mean, sometimes they hate it, and sometimes they love it. You know, last week, my kids were like, we want to have mass at home. And I was like, okay, well, that's kind of complicated in terms of who can do that. <laughs> but <laughs> sure, like, we will, I will, like, we will write out all the parts of mass, and sort of, we'll play with this idea. Um, and then, so they were so, my oldest two were so, so excited to do it. They were so excited to set it up. And then when push came to shove, they like had a fight in the middle of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like so tension filled and like annoying. And I was just like, uh, oh, the best laid it. Like, counterintuitive
1: <laughs> to what we're supposed to be doing right now, people. <laughs> exactly.
2: And also like so real, like, yeah, I mean honestly, like, how many drink. how many
0: masses have you been to that ended in fist fights? Probably exactly, a few.
2: Exactly. I mean I always <laughs> say that the time of the week I most want to like you know drink or go to a bar is right after mass. <laughs> right? <laughs> I I need something to like escape how painfully distracting my children were for that. And I also think like that's the chaos that's real. Like God yeah. receives us in our chaos as family so and then we uh i think we really emphasize like justice and not and so so imperfectly but for um we talk a lot about like how we should spend our money as a family and um how Mm. we should spend our energy and we do it so imperfectly because those things are very limited money and energy Mm -hmm. but um it's i know that they see that it's a part of our faith that compels us there
0: Right. Well, that's that's beautiful to have that consultation as a family around, you know, uh, an awareness for the kids around issues of finance and and uh, and community responsibility. That's beautiful. Usma, how about how about for you? Are there are there traditions that that you are really instilling with your kids that you make make it clear that it's mandatory for them to show up?
3: Yeah, it would be the tradition that we have is. reading the Arabic scripture or the Quran mm-hmm. and you know that's something that's really pushed on the subcontinent, uh, Indian subcontinent where the majority of Muslims come from on the planet. So that tradition is you may be completely unable to speak the language or understand the language but you will be 100% literate. Um, mm-hmm. And that is you know, I put a lot of emphasis on it because that was how I was raised. My parents were not practicing, but this was, again, something that they instilled very early in me. So I was literate in Arabic by the time I was five. So before I was English literate, I was Arabic literate. Wow. Um, and I, I always found that advantageous. Now, to me, it for me, that was my connection to God. Like I mm-hmm. knew that those were his words. I knew that he unequivocally loved me and that when my parents were mean to me i could go and pray for him to break their backs and he would do it Um, (laughs) so that was like i very early on you know even when i didn't know because i didn't learn how to pray the ritualized prayer until i was eight um so before that i would just go in the closet and cry to a picture of my dead grandfather because i had never met him and in my mind god looked like him or look wow. like, you know, an old woman with a very long braid. So I don't know. I had yeah. no gender association with God, <laughs> so I would go and cry to this this picture, and you know, cry. Allah, yeah, uh, break their backs because they were mean to me or something. Um, not realizing as a five year old that that's like idolatry in Islam, and that was totally not <laughs> okay to do. But it was okay because you know
0: the intention um, was pure.
3: The intention was totally well, apparent.
0: Except for the breaking your parents' back part. Yes, that was <laughs>
3: <exactly>. <laughs> I'm the one who curses people, right? Yeah, not no, I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> my mom, when she Amazing. found out, as an adult, I told her I used to make this prayer all the time. She's like, that's a terrible thing to say. I was like, yeah, but <laughs> it was between God and me. It was something I didn't have to right. share with you because I felt... I felt like I had that connection early on, and speaking his words and speaking, um, learning his words, even though I did not know what they meant for a very long time and still don't fully understand what they mean unless I look up the English translation, I um, feel that connection. And Mm -hmm. I want my kids to experience that. And I know that as an adult, learning it is so much harder. So Mm -hmm. I would like them to gain that literacy now. And then, you know, I do push very early as you know, now, like, hey, you should probably start learning the Arabic, and this is what this means, and this is what why we do this, and this is why we say this. Um, and so I try to incorporate some of that so that they have understanding and feel closer to it. So when we do um, study of scripture or verses, then I'm always talking to them about what it means, because I want that to be important, but I do not compromise on their nightly lessons that they have had online since I mean, my oldest started when he was three years old. So I don't feel guilty for imposing mm-hmm. this um, this literacy on them because my hope is that they will learn the language going on and realize that, you know, being polyglots is to our advantage so that we can understand so many more people and understand more of God's people in this way. But most importantly, mm-hmm. like, so that they feel the connection with God's word that I've always felt.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful way to frame it well um you know as as we were saying at the beginning uh Rachel you just you had a baby recently um uh-huh. so that's that's sort of an exceptional thing that's happened during the uh the pandemic period Aww. um that that is is beautiful and i'm sure was you know came with it a lot of challenges and possibly fears and everything so i'm i'm curious for for each of you and and um Rachel maybe you can start if if you can share Um, For you and your family, what's been, yeah, what have been some of those things that have been, you know, on the one hand, challenges or, or uh, you know, fearful, um, but on the other hand, also very beautiful and and joyful during this period together?
2: Yeah, um, I think, uh, yeah, so having a baby was actually... It, there was something like very centering about that, right? Like this is, this is the project that we have in this time, is the mm-hmm. end of my pregnancy and the welcoming of a new person. And so a lot, actually right after the baby was born, um, my older kids suddenly had this surge of grief about having missed three months of school because they had really entered into the no school time as like, okay, we're all getting ready for this baby. Um, And there has been, you know, it's so, I'm so tired of listening to my children fight. I am so, so tired of it. (laughs) And Uh there is such an intimacy that they have with each other Mm. that is just really really cool you know you only fight with the people you really love in the way that they do Mm. and i it's it's cool to watch and and neat to watch their creativity just explode you know i think my daughter has been reading probably eight or nine books a week Mm, Um, wow and she's going into third grade and it she just found her found this thing that she loves, which is reading. Um, and then some really good things for me, which I had been trying to get off of Facebook in a real way for a while. And the anxiety of Facebook just went through the roof for me. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I can't do this. Like I cannot live in this state of anxiety. I can live with the practices that the anxiety evokes, but I can't operate in this way and so like i gave my spouse my phone and said i need you to log me change my password and not tell me what it is (laughs) wow okay and so maybe once a week maybe once every two weeks i'll get on for five minutes and then be like oh yeah this is terrible for me Mm. and just my practices in my own self around monitoring my anxiety and um, and how that's showing up have really gotten a lot Richer, yeah, and, and they were always there. I mean, it's not like the anxiety wasn't there before. Um, it just it's now particularized about something.
0: Yeah, um, and how critical it is for for that to happen. You know, at the time when you're you're bringing in this new life, and you know, obviously need to be very present for.
2: Yeah, for and so one. and my our new baby's name is Esther, and. Um, esther is this um, person in the hebrew scriptures who saves her people Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. she saves her people from like leaders who are uh, foolish and have are surrounded by other foolish ridiculous leaders and the more we like (laughs) sunk into that name and that story i was like this (laughs) i i want to give her the story of Save us from a world filled with idiot leadership. You know, like, <laughs> we bestow this name on you as a prayer for this time. Yeah. Um, I yeah.
0: wonder if there are a lot of Esthers being born right now.
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's your baby are Being groomed to be Esther. <laughs> yeah.
0: Zeba, how about how about for you? Things that are challenging or fearful or otherwise beautiful and joyful.
1: So, you know, I, I think I, like all parents, I'm, ha- I have my ups and downs. So it depends on the day, like how I would probably project mm, exactly. myself. Today's a good day. So I'm going to focus from an area of positivity. My challenges are I have two sets, right? I sure. have my older set that has their own unique Um, challenges. And I'm blessed enough to have the the younger set that they're two years apart. They're both boys. So they're each other's best friends. So so they do fight on occasion. So I I totally hear you, Rachel. But for the most part, I kind of look at them and think, don't you get sick of each other? Like they had a slumber party in each other's room (laughs) last night. And I'm just watching this like I can barely stomach your dad sometimes. And here you are like with this person 24 (laughs) hours a day, seven days a week. And you're like, we want to have a slumber party. I'm like, really? But you've been together since 7am. But you know, so, so the (laughs) beauty is I'm definitely watching my older set really um, engage and become protective of my younger set. So like my older son is like coaching them Mm. basketball, spending more time with them, My, You know, I find the younger two cuddling in my daughter's bed. So from that physical space being obviously enclosed a little bit, like I'm definitely seeing that they're relying on each other, which was the main reason of me providing siblings for each other. Right. I'm like, once I'm gone, I can say that you guys have each other. And I definitely feel that this particular year, and it's going to be at least a year, if we're honest with each other, is a gift of time for that. Connectivity because we're that family, that sport family. My kids are in four or five different sports. We're gone from seven o'clock in the morning till 12, 10 o'clock at night. We don't have dinner together. We don't have lunch together. We, we're kind of passing. And the fact that we're all together in the same house has been such an amazing experience for me, and it also made me realize how overscheduled we are. Um. And that even going back post-COVID, or when COVID is finally over, and we're kind of you know, coming back to our normal lives or as normal as they can be at that point, I'm realizing I don't want to be overscheduled. Like I'm going to start saying no because I'm enjoying watching Indiana Jones cuddled on my couch <laughs> and at night and I would never have had time to do that. So has it made right. us closer together? Yes, 120%. Do we have our own individual anxieties and now I, I'm dealing with my own plus four or five others? Absolutely. So trying to find, like, Rachel, those coping mechanisms that we as moms have to do in order to be able to help our families. Uh, You know, I'm a journey. It's a journey in progress for me right now. Um, So I'm open to any tips and suggestions. But I'm constantly always looking for that. Because, you know, that undercurrent buzzing of anxiety, I think, for everybody right now and the fear of the unknown is going to be there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Usma, um, I'm I'm curious, building off of what Zeba just said, how have you been discussing this period of uncertainty with your kids, whether it has to do with um, the pandemic or conversations around police violence? What have those conversations been like for your family?
3: So, you know, one of the disadvantages of the pandemic is, I mean, keeping the kids occupied, right? Because now Mm -hmm. they can't do their sports, they can't go out, they can't socialize. I am very um, weary of playdates. So uh, my husband and I both are. So really, you know, we're in each other's faces all the time. And that was becoming problematic. So we resorted to every mother's fallback in the century. And that's their devices. So here you go. And I have let devices raise my kids for the last three months, because I just, I can't I could not deal with the, when can we, but when can we, but when can we? And so when they have unlimited access, or I would say like six hours a day. So to me, that's unlimited. They stumbled upon the videos of George Floyd's death themselves. Mm -hmm. And they came up to me and said, how could this happen? And um, I was like, well, you tell me, you know, and they started talking about, because they discovered TikTok as well. Mm -hmm. And they started seeing all these videos that were being made and they were on their own, um, were like, white people don't like us. They don't like black people and they're all racist. And I was like, well, when you use all and everybody, um, when you use these blanket statements, then aren't you becoming a racist? But they've kind of developed their own suspicion of mm-hmm. white people. And I think some of that is based on their personal experiences because they're remembering those times that somebody did something that wasn't kind to them at school or at a social gathering or at a game or said something to them. And it's kind of one ethnicity is doing it. Um, so they're making their own connections. And the two older ones are 12 and 10. And um you know it's to the point now where I guess they're kind of tutoring the younger two and so I think I said something the other day and I was to my youngest who's five and I was like you're not eating your the red parts of your food like you can't just pick out the tomatoes out of everything you have to eat the red parts and he was like red you're being a racist you know (laughs) he's trying to understand that language but they amongst themselves are having those discussions and at one point I did I did not feel comfortable taking them to the more urban protests that are happening in our town a um, their sister is immunocompromised so none of us can ex- uh, afford that exposure and be mm. um, they're not safe where I live
0: um, mm.
3: there is um, Phoenix police because
0: of confrontations police. with the police
3: yeah Phoenix PD is the most violent um, yeah. Uh, police department in the nation and so um i have seen with my own eyes what they do to peaceful protesters and so i i would not subject my kids to that so i took them to a family march that was organized by a local black lives matter movement and we did the family march And the boys complained because it was very hot. Um, But they, they knew that it was important work. And at one point, somebody drove by with their window open and said something really ignorant. And I shouted back and maybe gesticulated inappropriately at a family march. Um, But my sons were like, wow, like you do those things? And I was like, yeah, Mm -hmm. like that's what mommy does when she's not around you guys typically. (laughs) In this moment, because it's really important to me um, that people know that black lives are just as important as any other lives. Mm. And, you know, that was, that was, I had the buy-in. They were all excited to go because they were so stoked to see people for the first time in months
0: right, um, right. but yeah they're not allowed
3: they're, they're having those conversations i'm i'm making myself available to have them like nothing's you know uh, off limits in our household so we we do talk about those things but i don't initiate the conversations they kind of come to me and i i wish i had been the one to talk to them about um all of these brutal murders of black men and black individuals in our country not of late but that have been happening for you know when i was a kid the big la riots were when rodney king was killed so um uh I i think i would have preferred that but them having discovered it didn't really, it didn't cause any hiccup, or um, I don't think it caused any issues in our family's mm. ability to face them together,
0: if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and it's beautiful that you all, again, as you we were saying before, have you know, that open dialogue um, to discuss these things, because that, you know, that understanding that's being cultivated, that, that the kids know that they can turn to you to talk about these difficult subjects is only gonna assist them as they grow older right so one of the things that we do on our show is make space for our guests to ask each other questions so i'll ask if usma or Zeba or rachel if you have any questions for each other
3: rachel i'm really fascinated by i mean on it sounds like you might be sort of a homesteader i i don't know but like when i hear somebody (laughs) has her own beehive i'm already like Oh, Tell me more gosh. about that. Yes.
1: <laughs> You're like, leave religion on the side. How are we doing with the bees? <laughs> That's what we want to know. No, the,
3: you know say, bees are so important in the Quran. I There's know.
1: Named I bees, know. You know.
2: So
3: it's like, I'm like, I want to hear about this.
2: So um, the bees did not make it through the winter so Aww. and the bees which is really common so bees and baby I was like I can't do both and I'm already pregnant <laughs> <so>. <laughs> but I loved beekeeping in and actually it really evoked my my sense of um, feminine and like feministness because um, bees are almost all female and um, and I except for the drones who are basically just sperm donors for the queen that's what
3: i thought i was like okay wait. Yeah. I thought the majority were male and just the queen bee was the, the queen
2: oh the most of them are female they're all her daughters <laughs> you know? and Ooh. yeah I yes and i just loved this almost all parts of the world have some sort of mythology around bees and beekeeping okay. um and so in my in the irish in the celtic sense like um people have to tell the bees important things in their life, like what's happening in their life or the bees will sense it and sense that you're not being honest and will, like, they'll die. Um, oh, wow. But what I also really love about bees is that they are one organism together. So any bee by itself will die. Um, it, no bee can make it out on its own. But when they work together, they actually can really they can take care of a sick bee. They can get rid. They can clean up a, a dirty part of the hive. They can get rid of pests and disease pretty well, um, and can can take care of the weak if they work together. And for me, that is such a story of what it is to be a person of faith mm-hmm. um, that it was like this is beautiful. Like that we can take care of those who are struggling and those who are weak. Those who are have been brutalized on the outside world, you know, by a bumblebee or, you know, the police. But (laughs) we, we need to be an organism that can be robust enough to caretake the sickest parts of us. And I just it resonated on so many levels that I was like, I just kind of fell in love with the bees on this meaning making level beyond this homesteader level. And actually, I'm not a homesteader. I live in this, like, crazy suburban neighborhood in Indianapolis. But I am, like, the person with the garden in the front yard. And, like, the, you know, the rainbow flag and the Black Lives Matter. <laughs> 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 um, and I'm sure that, like, I'm the parent whose kids are, like, at when they go back to school, be, like, telling all the other kids about sex and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, God. I know my kids have told other kids Things about Santa and such. So,
3: um, we have Muslim kids, they've done the same thing.
2: (laughs) Yeah, good, good. (laughs) I don't need to be alone in that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, I just, I love the bee thing because um, I'm an unschooler, and Hmm. so for one of my kids at least. And so I delved a little bit into project based learning and saw um, like that sense of community that you're talking about with bees that the teacher was getting encouraging the kids to get to that conclusion yeah. by themselves but I was like what a terrific lesson for kids to learn no wonder God teaches us about bees you know because mm-hmm. that's the mm-hmm. that you're talking about and that community so yeah.
2: and there's another thing about bees that like they say that women are better beekeepers than men Okay. Because women know what it's like to suffer to, ca- to caretake something Aww. that it's and I mean, that's a little bit reductionist about what it is to be a woman. But, <laughs> uh, there's a sense in which I really like, yeah, to be a to be a, a, a mother to parent is to know what it is to suffer for something you really love. Right, right. Yeah, no, I thought I you were
0: them. going to be really reductionist about it and say, because women are sweet as honey. And I was going to say, oh, man. <laughs> no, no, no,
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that.
2: Yeah. Um, I have a question for for either or both of you. What practices in Islam support your motherhood in particular or mm. your parenting?
3: Do you want to take that one first, Sebo?
1: I mean... Honestly, like, you know, Islam for me, um, and I would ar- argue probably most of us, is a way of life, right? It's how mm. you conduct yourself. It's how you're supposed to be with other people. Like, you know, the concept of charity and prayer and introspection and community, right? That's Those are just the basic tenets of Islam. And um, to really be Muslim literally means to submit yourself to God, right? So you know, I personally feel like in submitting myself to God, I'm doing like in mommying, which is kind of why we kind of use that, you know, verb that I just kind of made up one day is mm-hmm. literally to to constantly be reminded in my 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 quest and my journey always to put God first through raising my children, meaning, are we raising socially responsible, you know, let me Mm -hmm. be honest, my kids are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Like, I don't think anybody's are, but the reality is that is a constant conversation. What can we do better? How can we help, you know, the community in our local community, let alone the, the community at large. And those are all the things that we get from Islam. So like living it, the best that we can, like in preaching it, like practice what we preach. And that's really how I feel. Um, I'm using it for my practice um, in raising my children.
3: For so me, a Rachel, it's just to, I mean, that's all awesome. And that's what I think I strive to do, but I always have to remember that motherhood is a form of worship for me. I feel like it may be the reason why I'm propelled to the opposite place, because sometimes I'm not the best person when I'm mothering, but um, just as kind of an uh, adage to what she said is the status of women in Islam, contrary to popular opinion, contrary to all the misinformation that's put out there, it's so high. And motherhood arguably is like the upper echelons mm-hmm. of that womanhood. Um, because, you know, when we talk about our love for Jesus, like how do we do it in the Quran? We do it through Mary, the chapter of Mary, his mother, who in Muslim tradition, um, Got pregnant on her own, birthed a child on her own, came back to society on her own, like she was the power woman promised heaven for everything that she suffered through. You mm-hmm. know, from the you know being an unwed mother to you know laboring through that all by herself. There's no um, story of Joseph accompanying her, or helping her, or anything, mm-hmm. um, and then coming back to face society. As an unwed mother with an infant, um, and having to explain that to this very um, misogynistic, paternalistic society, um, and or sh- you know the shame culture society, which we still have today, arguably, um, but also um, you know to show that we we got this great prophet that is going to save us at the end of times through a woman. Through a mom, you know, and again, his mom is promised heaven. She's one of the few women who's promised heaven. And then in another tradition, somebody came to Muhammad and asked him, who amongst my companions deserves the best of my companionship? And Muhammad answered, your mother. And the man asked, then who? And Muhammad answered, your mother. And the man asked, then who? And Muhammad said, your mother. And the man asked, Hmm. oh gosh, who then? And the fourth time, Muhammad said, your father. So, you know, in all things, it's your mother, your mother, your mother, then your father. So, yes, honor thy parents. Parents, but your mother is tantamount you cannot go to holy war you cannot go to any war without your per- the permission of your mom you can't even make pilgrimage to god without permission from your mom as a man mm-hmm. you must get her permission um and to um, displease your parents to have them say oof is like so bad, but to have your mom say it is really, really bad. And so, what Muslims really, truly believe is that the prayer of your mother is always going to be granted because God knows that every contraction, every pain in her pregnancy, every pain in her labor, every pain during breastfeeding, which we know is like the worst of all of them, and then every pain that she has, you know, because we internalize the grief of our children, right? Like if they cry, we cry; if they're upset, we are upset. Um, so He gets that. That the tenderness of a mother's heart as compared to God's love. So however much your mother loves you, God loves you 70 times more. And that is the standard of love is the mom. You know, we're the measuring stick in this tradition. And so um, if God can love us more than our mom, 70 times more than our mom, then whoa, you know? So for those mm. reasons, I think motherhood has this status and this meaning to us that is, I mean, it, it supersedes every other role that at least Zeba and I have in our lives.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: it's why we can do the work that we do and the worship that we do and feel like, okay, God's got us. Hmm.
0: That's beautiful. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. I, I, have, I have a final question for, for Zeba and Uzma. It's kind of more of a practical question, um, but whenever I encounter Muslim moms, I'm, I'm curious about this. So, how do you potty train on a luda? Oh, is luda. it just <laughs> like is it a total like like poop everywhere and the bathroom's just a mess for years as these kids are? Tra- I can't imagine so- what that must be like.
1: So you obviously are not watching our lives because our little ones still scream from the background, I'm done, and we have to go and still clean their butts. So in our house, and literally, we were interviewing the other... The other week, and we're live, and we're video live, and we were interviewing Uh (laughs) this lieutenant colonel. I mean, the first Muslim lieutenant colonel, so cool. She was talking about fighting an Iraq war and and the challenges and struggles that she had between her both cultures. And my son opened up my studio door, and it was like, I have to go poop. You need to clean me like live <laughs> on air. And yeah, so it is a daily conversation. So That's our amazing. I teach them, you know, so once they're potty trained, obviously I clean their butts until my rule is eight, but at the when they turn seven. Eight? Yeah, eight. it's eight. Oh that gosh. exact reason. I don't want stuff all over my house. Ha- and I don't want, you know, to have to clean up underwear. But once they right. turn eight, it's like at seven, I teach them like with while I'm standing there, they're learning. And then at eight, I let them free because for exactly that reason. It, but you will hear uh, the kids in the background. I'm done. And you have to go and get them. Yeah. So I'm just, is, yeah.
0: That is hilarious. Because I've always, I've always thought, when I, when I found out about this as, a, as an adult, you know, and just became more worldly, I always thought like, this makes so much more sense. This, it's, it's just a, a much more civilized system to have. And, yes. then, and then when I became a parent and I thought about it, I was with some Egyptian friends, and I was thinking, I was like, wait a minute,
1: how are we what gonna do you, this? What do you have a kid?
0: <laughs> oh boy! All right. Yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you for for sharing that insight. I, I that that I mean, hats off. That to is you the first to, time we've and, ever
1: been asked that question. So I'm gonna give you like an A plus for that, that one. Is a I good like question. it a lot.
0: Yeah. I get the white guy brownie badge for us. Exactly.
2: exactly. Don't call it a brownie badge. Oh yeah. Oh right. yeah, like no, no no no, oh, no. I,
0: <laughs> I stepped I stepped right in it. Oh, no. <laughs> oh that's bad. Okay, got it. I love that. Lever. Oh boy. Oh boy. Well this is wonderful. Zeba um, uh how can people find out about uh mommying while Muslim?
3: So we are on um, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, um, or you can find us on Instagram at Momming While Muslim Podcast, all one word. And we usually have the link to the latest episode in our bio if you'd like to click on that. You can also find us on our website to learn more about us um, or get our press kit at mommingwhilemuslim.com.
0: Excellent, and Rachel, you are um, off um, between seasons now, doing the Lord's work, um, <laughs> bringing bringing up new life and everything. Um, but how can folks find out about Bringing Forth?
2: Yeah, wherever you find your podcasts, you can find Bringing Forth podcast. Um, Instagram Bringing Forth podcast is the handle, and Bringing Forth podcast So uh, yeah, Bringing Forth is the to parent uh, in
1: Latin, parent means uh, to bring forth. Oh, so, I, yeah. I just learned something new. I love that. Yeah, fun fact.
0: And are you? Do you have plans to bring forth new episodes, or yeah, are you, yeah, is yeah. on <laughs> for...
2: I'm gonna start. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Recording again at the end of August. This is yeah. the longest wow. maternity leave I've ever had, and we're on nine weeks. Um, so, <laughs> wow. yeah. So I'm, I'm starting to line up guests and get things going. So let's hope this baby gets on a regular nap schedule sooner rather yeah. than later. So you'll have yeah.
0: a you'll have a regular co-host soon
2: enough. <laughs> yes. <now>. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. yes. I huh. Just one other thing to Usman Zeba? I when um, my kids were born, each of them, and then just recently, uh, I we had read that there's an islam blessing where the call to prayer is whispered Mm -hmm. in a baby's ear when they're first born and i think i think that is just so profoundly beautiful um that my spouse and i really we wrote a blessing for our kids that was the first thing they heard and it it was a blessing of course in our tradition we didn't want to steal another tradition's language but we thought that 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 placeholder yes. that God is God's name is the first thing you hear. an invitation mm. to live life in, in, in the presence of God was just so moving for us. Um, that I, I, I mean, I just think like, thank you Islam for gifting Aww. my family and my children with like such a profound start. I honestly haven't been able to say it at any of the four births because Aww. I'm crying, right. um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's been, um, such a gift from Islam to me. Oh, so I love. That. I, I, I don't know who to thank. So thank you. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, I wish
3: we could take credit for that. But that's not we take, it's it, it, it. We'll so take credit ours. for it. It's ours. No. Yes.
0: And that's why <laughs> Esther's middle name is Muhammad. So
1: you know, <laughs> exactly. that was actually is a good really I
2: That
1: is so funny. I love that.
3: Awesome. Awesome. All no, right. I well
1: love.
0: well, this has been great. Thank you so much uh, for Thank sharing you, all of your wisdom and your insights. Um you know, I, I one of the um the inspirations I'll just share for, for doing these crossover episodes with other folks who have uh, uh, spiritual and, and religious based podcasts is, is this letter that came out from um, the international um, Baha'i uh, governing body at the beginning of the pandemic period. And I was really taken by this quote that I'll, I'll, I'll share with you right now that says, um, at a time when the urgency of attaining higher levels of unity, founded on the incontestable truth of humanity's oneness is becoming apparent to larger and larger numbers society stands in need of clear voices that can articulate the spiritual principles that underlie such an aspiration really and when i listen when i listen to your shows i i hear those voices and and so i thank you for you know for really bringing people people together in oneness and and celebrating that that shared humanity that we all have oh
3: thank, thank you so much that thank was you. really beautiful i'm really glad you read that to us that's awesome
0: thank you guys thank you so much thank moms you. really appreciate it
1: absolutely good luck thank, thank you all right
3: bye-bye. bye everybody
0: All right, dear listener, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. Again, thanks to Zeba, Usma, and Rachel for joining me. Be sure to check out their shows anywhere you find quality podcasts. As always, I want to give a shout-out to a couple of other cool moms, my fellow Interfaith astronauts, Miranda Hofmeyer and Sukatz Miller, and Dad of the Year every year, our musical maestro, Jeff Philosopher. And of course, thank you, dear listener, for spending your hour with us. You can find our entire back catalog of interfaithish episodes wherever you find and enjoy podcasts. We're still recording away from our home studio at Tacoma Radio, so we've continued our ongoing series of crossover episodes with other religion and faith-focused podcasts. I hope you're learning about some new and interesting shows through our guests. I've certainly been having a ball with it, so let me know what you think. Follow us on social media at Interfaith-ish. Leave us a voicemail on our special listener line, 202-599-2953. And keep writing us about the Interfaith-ish you wish to dish at interfaithish at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. Interfaith-ish will be back in two weeks. Until then, keep it locked to wowd 943 FM for great music and programs seven days a week, streaming online at tacomaradio.org.